Welcome to the new and improved Cup Cubby Blue, proudly affiliated with the Fans First Sports Network, where you are hopefully subscribed for a ton of great Cubs content. If you like the shows, leave us a five-star review and a rating. It helps other people find us. We've still got all of the series-by-series updates, plus the bleacher banter that you love. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs schedule and more for Bleed Cubby Blue. Danny is in Pittsburgh today, uh, and I, hopefully you're planning on tuning into the Sun Ranto show um, later, but I am lucky to be joined by the one and only Michael Cotton in his absence. How's it going, Michael? Hi, it's it's going pretty good. Been, uh, you know, busy doing a bunch of stuff today while trying to keep up with that, you know, kind of wild Cubs game, yet another uh, offensive onslaught. So that was great. But yeah, I'm. You know, and after every Cubs win, you just feel a little bit better the rest of the day, right? So, yeah, it definitely makes the day go a little bit better. I mean, I I'm pretty thrilled. I wanted them to have a winning stretch over this 12 game stretch against not very good teams. They did it. They went eight and four, which I think is about what they needed to do in order to stay competitive and in the race. What's wild though is while they've improved uh, their wild card standing. And they're currently in control of the second wild card spot, uh, half a game above the Diamondbacks, I think, or the it's kind of pending like a, a handful of things that are still out there. But they made up zero ground against the Brewers because the Brewers have just decided they're never going to lose again. Uh, and I'm honestly kind of annoyed. <laughs> oh, I'm very annoyed. N- nothing is worse than the Brewers in late August and September. Uh you know, it, and it all started back in that, I think it was like the 95 win season when the Cubs broke, but the Brewer, I mean, what the real story was the Brewers just didn't lose again. And they just tracked us down and then took the division lead. And ever since then, every September, they just seem to turn it on. They're, they're always around always, you know, and, and in the division this year, it's been so bad. No Cardinals to speak of whatsoever. Uh, the Cardinals or, or the Cubs and the Reds and, you know, are the only ones they have to worry about. I'm kind of surprised they didn't just walk away with it, but they're not very good either. And yet here they are at the end, right when the Cubs sort of make some moves to make their team better for the stretch run, the Brewers are like, oh yeah, it's time to start playing again. And then they just go on this what are they at? Like a seven win or eight win? I think they're run? at eight because I think they did want. I, I don't know if they wound up winning that game against the Padres today or not. They were down uh, early and then came back. And when I last looked at what that was a wild game going on over there. Um, hold, please. Let me find it. It looks like they did win that game against the Padres 10 to six. So, um, yeah, it's going to it sets up quite the series at the friendly confines, but that's for the second half of the show. We'll get to that. And we'll get to that in a second. Um, First, we have to talk about these pirates games, four games in Pittsburgh. The Cubs win three of them exactly as we all wanted them to. And they won in a lot of different ways. I love it. What do you see here, Michael? Well, I, I actually thought they were going to sweep them, right? Because of course they uh, coming into this, they'd played them six times going into this series and the Cubs had won every single game. Of course, that all happened because of this amazing major league schedule. All six of those games happened in like eight days. So it was, you know, if the Pirates weren't doing well that right at that moment, the Cubs were and they were just tearing them up. Uh, but, you know, the Cubs came in 
hot again, you know, and I mean, I guess hot. I was a little frustrated with the way that they were sort of beating all the AL Central teams by one run all the time. That was a little bit frustrating, and that was the only reason I had any sort of doubt about this series. But, you know, they came out and they took care of business. They jumped all over everyone except for Mitch Keller. Mitch Keller was really good. I'm honestly stunned that they didn't just let him throw a complete game there because the Cubs had nothing on Mitch Keller. That was game two. Mitch Keller threw eight innings, gave up four hits, no runs. He only walked one guy, six strikeouts. And, you know, the, I was the, not frustrated during this game, but, like, he, the Cubs had an approach early where they clearly knew he was going to throw strikes. So they're like, we're going we're gonna to go after those strikes early. But they were making weak contact against those pitches, so they were all just, like, early outs right like four pitch innings and all this crazy stuff so then they're like okay we're gonna wait and then they're just down oh two because the man is throwing strikes they're just <laughs> strikes like justin Steele throws that turn into you know 30 mile per hour dribblers down the line and so you know credit to mitch keller every now and again there's nothing you can do the thing that was wild in that game was the replay disaster and i'm still not sure why Cody Bellinger at first base was overturned. I know that Bleacher Nation tried to be like, no, no, look at the films and the pictures and blah, blah, blah. My understanding of the rule is that the ball has to hit the back of the glove, that it's not like the ball is somewhere within the general confines of where the glove is. And it looked like the ball didn't hit the back of the glove until Cody Bellinger's foot was down. Well, see, and, and with that, that you're right. That's a tough one. I believe they sort of look at it as like a, like in football breaking the plane now, because I was always under the, the assumption it wasn't necessarily the back of the glove, but it had to be touching leather, but you can't always tell if the ball is touching leather, like, cause it could just be touching, you know, the, the outer part of the, the fingers and rolling into the back, you know? So I'm not sure, you know, they have made a couple of little changes. There was, you know, another change that people reminded me of this week about the laces no longer count on the tags. So it was something right around that same time that we really didn't clock because they were changing every other rule in the book. And so I think it's just sort of one of those things if it's, they can't tell if it's actually touching. So they have to assume it is. I don't know. Okay. It was the, weird. <laughs> it was totally weird. And may, my biggest pet peeve with this isn't so much like whatever the rule is, like the rule can be whatever it is for purposes of ball and glove. And I'm fine with it. It's more that it has been communicated so poorly that look, say what you want about Boog. I actually don't have a problem with him. I know other people do like, I think Boog's fine, but like Boog knows the rules of the game of baseball. He is a very knowledgeable baseball fan. He understands metrics and numbers and he's, uh, he's there talking about how, the rule is the back of the glove. So whatever change was made or whatnot, clearly not communicated to the people who are calling the game. And I just don't understand why, if you have sufficient evidence to overturn a call on the field, MLB can't just release something at that moment, five minutes later, at the end of the game, in the post game that says, yeah, the call was overturned because we had this, this, and this, and this is what we saw at the end. Just show us your work. That... Uh I absolutely agree with you. There is no reason that they can't just put out a statement, one paragraph. This is what we saw. And this is why we changed the thing. Maybe they don't want to do that because 
when you put things in writing or whatever, then it can come back to bite you later. If you make a different decision, I have no idea. And, um, and yeah, I always, I'm with you. I always did hear the back of the glove and I just heard from other people that, that, that change in that rule. So I'm a little confused about it as well. If you say the back of the glove, it makes it that much clearer. You know, like if you want a clear rule, you say back of the glove and then you don't have to worry about whether or not uh, it's crossed some imaginary line in space. <laughs> yeah, that's what we need. Imaginary lines and MLB. No, seriously, just get your stuff together and, and actually tell us like what decisions you've made. Honestly, hard to complain about that, though. It really did change the game considerably. Uh, every yeah. Cubs pitcher in this series was so good. Justin Steele, six innings pitched. Three runs, only two of them were earned. Uh, the bullpen was nails in game one. Kyle Hendricks. Was Kyle Hendricks against Mr. Keller? I think it was because I think it was like a, he only get, he, he kind of looked rough, but he gave up two runs and then the Cubs just couldn't do anything against Mitch Keller. Am I right about that? Yeah, those first two runs were like the first two hitters in the game. Like it was, yeah. it was just right off the bat. Uh, it was one of those kind of uh, what we, have come to us expect from Kyle sometimes like he gives up a run or two early and then he settles in and they can't touch him for the rest of the time he's out there. And that's what happened in this game. It's just that the offense chose that game to take the night off. Javier Assad today in the fourth game, goes seven innings pitch, three hits, one earned run, seven strikeouts. But the dude who I want to talk about for a solid few minutes here, Jordan Wicks gets called up, Drew Smiley back in the bullpen, major league debut, immediately gives up a home run. <laughs> I know. The Allegheny River. Well, welcome. Welcome. Almost to the, hits a guy. Yeah. Well, welcome to the league, kid. I'm just going to take you deep on the second pitch you throw. And then he's got to figure out how to stay in the game, like mentally. Tommy Hadovy comes out for what must have been the best mound visit of all time. And Jordan Wicks gets a win, strikes out nine in his major league debut in five innings. I mean, this is Mark Pryor territory. That's a wild oh, yeah. they, first start. I I felt like the they were going a little nuts, right? On the whole, it's the the most strikeouts since 1901 and he's only this and and they're going back to all these things he was dominant he was great i loved every minute of it i don't know if it rose to the level at least prior to the game uh prior to the game didn't mean to say that but you know of mark prior coming up back in the day you know like everybody was excited to have him up i don't know maybe i'm out of touch uh, more so than I was back then, but I feel like the Mark, the Mark Pryor game was a little bit bigger. But then again, maybe it was because the Cubs didn't surprise us with that game because uh, wasn't Wicks supposed to start Sunday? They made us believe he was going to start Sunday. I did a Cubs pod that morning. Javier Assad was listed as the starting pitcher for the Cubs. And then by game time at six o'clock, it had changed to Jordan Wicks. So maybe that was part of it too. You can't really, they would have spent 
that entire game pumping up Jordan Wicks for the next game, but they just didn't get a chance. Yeah, maybe. Although I will say that changeup is filthy. Like that pitch is, I, I haven't looked at like stuff metrics or anything like that on changeups and, and preview people. Cause I obsessively listen to um, rates and barrels and, you know, talks about stuff there a lot. And he's got one of the stuff models that he has shared with people. That is the stuff model that is on Fangraphs. He has mentioned that changeups get shorted in stuff plus. So it's, it's a, it's just a design of the whole thing in terms of how it measures um, and what it measures and everything like changeups just don't get very high stuff as compared to other pitches. So when it comes out and you're like, Oh, the stuff on, the changeup wasn't very good or Jordan Wicks doesn't have very good stuff or whatever. Like just keep that in the back of your head. He's got a plus pitch that is underrepresented in the model. Um, but I, man, that was fun to watch. That's a, that's a filthy pitch. I, I know it's the pirates. I know it could look different when he's throwing against the reds at great American ballpark. And also I haven't had that much fun watching a Cubs make a Cubs pitcher, make his debut in a while. Yeah, I, I feel like maybe Tommy Hadovy went out there and, you know, it's one of those things, the old adage is like, you've got to establish your fastball. And it looks like that's what he was trying to do right off the bat. You know, just got to got to get those fastballs over. Totally makes sense. But they were hitting the fastball. And then after that, th- then we saw a lot more of uh, sort of working backwards with the breaking pitches and the change up to set up the fastball rather than the other way around. And I don't know. I don't know what Hadavi said exactly right there, but it did seem like there was a little bit of a change in approach. And throughout the rest of the game, it uh, there was a little, I don't want to say reliance because we only saw like two batters in that same situation, but they made the change and it was the right, you know, switch up to, his pitch, his pitch mix at the time. And speaking of the pitch mix, he was throwing to Miguel Amaya, which I, you and I are huge Amaya fans. Uh, I, I have thought he should have been starting a long time ago. I'm so glad Barnhart's gone. So we don't even have to worry about that anymore. Uh, but it was interesting that they, um, and I think the right call to put Amaya out there, who is actually, caught him before if i'm not mistaken right yeah and, they, they had a relationship from the minor leagues yeah rather than go with because what you would think is well you you put your veteran gomes out there to guide the young pitcher blah 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 but instead they're like no uh amaya and wicks they they work well together let's just throw them out there and see how it works and guess what it's great it worked really well I have, an, I have a caveat to the Amaya thing, but I do want to say, um, did it sound, were you watching the games on Marquee this week, Michael? I, I never watch the games on Marquee if I can help it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm curious and maybe one of our listeners can like correct me if I'm wrong. It, it Admittedly, this is a pet peeve of mine. It was like Jan Gomes propaganda week on Marquee. They spent so much time talking about how great Jan Gomes has been and how he's just been such a cornerstone for the team and how fans can't even see all the stuff that Jan Gomes does behind the scenes and all the great like qualitative rather than quantitative things that Jan Gomes does. It, it was like the last three days, just straight Jan Gomes propaganda. And I was like, is this directed at me? I feel attacked. 
I'm the girl that's out there every day. Like, give me the number that tells me how wonderful Jan Gomes is. Because until then, he's just this guy who's taking playing a t- time away from Miguel Amaya when Amaya is better. And the guy who replaced Wilson Contreras when Wilson Contreras is better. And they're like, no, no, it's it's all the behind the scenes Jan well, gomes I mean- And they were also all over this like, Jan Gomes is apparently mentoring Amaya and like bringing him along. I was like, please kill me now. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's state TV, right? So we all know that Amaya is the guy and he should be the starter, right? And Gomes should be, yes, mentoring him, but mentoring him while catching less games than Amaya. Now, Gomes is having a better season at the plate. Than he has had in uh in like his whole career. <laughs> so yeah, he's at fine. least so he, he's good there. But yeah, I I feel like it's one of those things they're trying to soften the blow that Amaya is not going to be the starter yet, you know? And so they have to prop up their guy so that we all, you know, people are just you know, drinking in the Kool-Aid. Well, no, he's so good. His intangibles are so great that really that's why Amaya should be sitting. He just isn't old enough. It's the same thing that I used to have this argument with everybody who told me that, well, he needs to be back in Des Moines getting reps in Des Moines because he has an injury history. And my thought was always, why is it better for Miguel Amaya to get injured in Des Moines than injured in (laughs) Chicago? How about if he's going to get injured, do it in Chicago where he can have an effect on this team and see if it works versus let him go to Des Moines and get injured there. And then we never see him again. So, yeah, and I feel like it's sort of that same thing. It's like everybody's got to make an excuse for why Amaya isn't the number one guy, the starter. And, you know, Marquis is owned by the team. It's not like, uh, you know, a regional sports network that, you know, they work for somebody else. They work for the Ricketts. And if they have, if Jed has something that he really wants to make sure everybody's on board with, he has the opportunity to use that if he can. I'm not saying that's what's happening, but it's a conspiracy. (laughs) Conspiracy. (laughs) (laughs) I will say um, the one thing I was a little nervous with, with Amaya, one thing we don't have a ton of data on with him at the moment is his ability to hold runners on like what he does with the running game. And it seemed like the pirates were testing that a lot during this series. And and it seemed like they were successful. Now the pirates are a pretty speedy team like Jiwan Bay and Brian Reynolds are guys who steal bags and like that they might have done that anyway but I do think it's worth keeping an eye on because um that's just going to be a really essential part of the game for catchers going forward it's one of the reasons that I'm such a big Wilson Contreras fan and like unapologetic about it the dude can throw you out and he can do it no matter what he can pick back pick you off first he can throw you out at second he can throw you out at third I do think it's worth keeping an eye on Amaya's ability to hold runners up. Right. And it's, I mean, it's one of the hardest things to do in the game, really. And when, and they knew what they were doing when they changed these rules. And I don't mean the size of the bases. I could really care less about that. But it's the, the three, you know, you can't hold the run, the, the pitcher can't hold the runner on the same way that they used to be able to. And that just gives them license to run. I mean, it really does. So, 
I don't, I don't know. It's when you find a catcher who can start throwing those guys out, maybe in a year or two, maybe they get a little bit better at this. Maybe those, you know, stolen base numbers go down, but the stolen bases have been, I don't want to say out of control because I like stealing bases. <laughs> so, but they, they're a great thing to watch and to see that action on the field. And I don't know. Uh, I, I think Amaya is going to be fine. I think the Cubs pitchers are fairly well known for being a bit slow to the plate. And that's something that, you know, you got to work on with your pitching staff as well. Fair enough. Um, let's talk about a couple of hitters who had really good series here. I thought Ian Happ had a nice series. Uh, always seems to do well against the NL Central. Loves hitting in Cincinnati. Loves hitting in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh native Ian Happ. <laughs> you know what? Okay, so that made me think this week, right? So, yeah, we know that he went to Cincinnati uh, for college, and he goes to Cincinnati and destroys the Reds. Just kills them. Just makes them hate Ian Happ. And then he goes to Pittsburgh. He does the same thing. Ian Happ, what happened to you as a child? What happened to your youth in which you go back to every like former home and just annihilate baseballs to like get revenge on them for some reason? Uh, the guy, uh, that Mitch Keller start. Cubs had no runs until Bednar comes out there and they start talking about how Bednar and Hap played against each other in club ball in Pittsburgh. And he jacked that ball. I mean, it was, it was a huge home run. And again, it's just Ian Hap saying, I hate my youth and I'm going to make sure everyone that has anything to do with it hates me by beating them with baseballs. Maybe this is why the Cubs extended Ian Happ because they're like, <laughs> Ian Happ destroys all of the teams that and all of the places that he used to be. And so we can never let Ian Happ go because he'll just be a the greatest Cub killer of all time. Another guy, two other guys That's whose true. bats have been crazy hot lately. And one in particular that I want to shout out, Sane Suzuki is on a tear, man. And like, they're like, oh yeah, hitting streak, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hitting streak. We're talking like, Extra base hitting streak, like taking extra bases, driving in all the runs. I don't know what happened to Seiya Suzuki during that reset. Um, the broadcasts have commented that he's gotten a little bit more aggressive. He used to be pretty passive um, about which pitches he swung at and why, that he has really like changed that approach to be more aggressive on looking for his pitch and doing damage on it. Whatever they did, more of this, please, because this is the Seiya Suzuki that I have been waiting to see. And if he can do it, through September, it's going to take the Cubs a long way. Oh, yeah. Uh, over the last 15 days, he's got three home runs. Um, and I think, what has he got? He's only got one triple, but uh, he's had only a few one. Triple. Only one, I know. <laughs> only one triple. Well, I honestly, I feel like he's had like two, three, four over these last, this stretch. Like, it feels like he gets over there a lot. Uh but yeah, five doubles. He, he's been great. And it's, it is exciting. He was a, he was like a hitting champion in Japan. Yes. And so we've been waiting for this version of him ever since, you know, he came over to the Cubs and there's been a little bit of a, an adjustment period as there always is. And let's hope that whatever happened that adjust, they, they figured out how to get him through the adjustment period during that little, you know, what, 
how many games did he take off? Just a few games, but it, it was it was about a week. It was like the better part of a week. Um, so, and admittedly, this does not include today's game because one of the one of the downsides of we're recording this uh, Sunday afternoon. Um, one of the it's not a downside, but the two week stats that I run, Fangraphs doesn't update their stats till the morning, so we don't have today's right. game in the stats. But um, Seiya Suzuki in the last two weeks, forty eight plate appearances, has. Only struck out 14.6% of the time. His He's slashing 356, 375, 667 over that time period. It is unbelievable. And that does not include today's game where I, I don't even remember what he did, but it was outstanding. I mean, multi, I, I know he had a double. Pretty sure he might have had more than one. He's uh, just been on a tear. Today's game, he went two for three with two walks. So he had five plate appearances. I thought he, maybe I'm, hmm. Maybe well, I'm mixing two, up the double with yesterday. Two for three with two walks, though. That's a great day. It I is. think that's today. Yeah, You're that's today. Right. So, and I, thought let me see. A, I thought he had a double today. Maybe I'm losing my mind. He no, he did have a double today. Oh, okay, good. I like yeah, one one of those hits. Two for two for two three for three. With, one of the hits is a double. Got it. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were telling me that I. I Michael, I apologize. It's been a long week. <laughs> no, it's fine. I get it. Yeah. No, two for two for three with two walks. One of the hits was a double. Yes. Awesome. Yeah. Keep it up, Saya. Because if we can get more of this version of Saya, I mean, I am very, well, very here for it. And now that you say that, the the double that he hit was a stretch double too. Yeah. I mean, that was an easy single. He stretched that to a double because it was when he was. I mean, he was on his horse. He was moving as quickly as he could and. It looked like they might have a play, but he just outran it. Like, it was good. Yeah, it was great stuff. The other guy who had quite the series, Cody Bellinger, just, I mean, I I can only say good things at this point in time. Uh, the man hits for power. He hits for average. He doesn't strike out very often. And he had five RBIs and two doubles in today's game. Okay. Very here what, for that. What's amazing to me, about Cody Bellinger is that you've got him listed on his cold bats because Cody Bellinger over the last two weeks has doesn't not, include today. Right. But he, but he just hasn't been a, he hasn't been great quote unquote numbers wise. Right. But he's like Rizzo before him, a very productive bad hitter that was the one thing that i always loved about rizzo he would have a stretch where he was it looked like he was terrible but he was great like he was still doing all the things that needed to be done and bellinger same way he was his numbers looked terrible but he was like leading the team in rbi because he was just getting people moving on you know plays where he was getting thrown out or whatever or sack flies or whatever needed to be done bellinger's the I don't know, the the professional hitter that even when he's doing bad, he's doing very good things. No, it's a great point because he does, um, as of the last two weeks, lead the team in RBIs. And again, this doesn't include today's numbers, but, you know, he's only hitting 217, 255, 391 through yesterday's games. And, and that's not particularly great, but he's got 11 runs batted in. And so you're kind of like, well, I don't know. He's even when he's bad, he's helping the team. Plus, let's just talk about the fact that every time Cody Bellinger is in the game, I don't have to worry about Patrick Wisdom or somebody playing first base. <laughs> right. Yes. Well, uh, 
didn't... except for what? Yeah, except for today. Well, yeah, but th then he got moved and <laughs> almost got immediately. Moved. It was, I think it was shouldn't. like Wisdom's birthday or something. They were like, let's let's give Wisdom a start for his birthday. It was. He got a start on his birthday. He got one hit. And then they're like, yeah. all right, happy birthday. You're done. <laughs> Last guy that I really want to talk about here who has just been. Has any trade ever been as productive as the Jamer Candelario trade? The, like the man just seems really great for this Cubs team. You know, he it reminds me a little of way back in the day with Aramis Ramirez coming in yeah, that's a good call. late. Third third baseman comes in, uh, is a hot bat, you know, and really kind of sparked that team back then. And Jamer Candelario is doing that on this team. I really like him. Um, I honestly do not think I was on the Jamer candelario trained back when the cubs had him before and when they made the trade i think for uh uh the catcher and the pitcher from detroit alex avila jr and justin wilson and there still was mad Wil about it. wilson and avila Isak paredes went to detroit in that trade too yeah go look what he's doing for the Rays this year unbelievably but, bad trade. so when that happened i was just kind of like whatever until of course Justin Wilson and Alex Avila weren't very good. And then you were really frustrated by it, but I did. I, I'm just saying personally for me, I didn't realize it was that big a deal at the time, but he, you know, and then he didn't have a great season last year. Uh, the tigers let him walk. They just non tendered him. So he went to the nationals and now he's back with the Cubs and he seems very happy to be back with the Cubs. And we are happy to have him because he's doing great. And I personally have been complaining that we don't have like a really good third baseman for the whole season. And now we have one. So Justin Wilson, by the way, a reliever for the Milwaukee Brewers, although I believe he is on the injured list and rehabbing at the moment. So unlikely that the Cubs will see him uh, in the three game set that they are about to play against the division leading Brewers at Wrigley field. We are going to have everything that you need to know about that series on the flip side. But first we need to take a quick break for our sponsors. And we're back. I know a lot of us were hoping that the Cubs would be like one game back of the Brewers or maybe even use this stretch to get ahead of the Brewers in the standings. As we mentioned at the top of the show, the Brewers don't lose anymore. So the Cubs are going to have to do all of this work themselves. That seems possible. They've got six games left against six or seven games left against the Brewers. I actually forgot if that last series is a four game series or if it's a three game series. I should go look at it again in a second. But they've got a handful of games against the Brewers where they can do some damage here. What are you thinking as the Brewers head to Wrigley, Michael? Well, yes, I was hoping that they would be a little bit closer uh, because I expected the Brewers to get beat, I don't know, by the Texas Rangers, who are first in the AL West, uh, you know, or maybe go out to San Diego, just a long trip and not do well there. I think they, they were in San Diego, right? Yeah, they were just in San Diego, and it is six games. They have a three-game series at Wrigley, and then they will close out the year with three games at Wrigley North, and that is going to be wild. <laughs> and and my thought has been that the Cubs should be in – my thought has been that the Cubs should be in first place. This division, if you look at, like, expected wins, losses, and all that stuff, the Cubs should be walking away with this division, except for uh, 
the losses around the margins, which can only be attributed to things that are happening off the field. And that's all I really say about that. You know what I'm saying? But uh, the team itself has been good. And I just keep waiting for, and it, and it has turned around a little bit now with some better lineups. Uh, the right, the, the guys we want to play every day, playing most of the days, at least, you know, and they are coming oh, yeah. back around. I thought it would be, I thought the Cubs would be a little bit closer going into this and maybe able to take uh, the division lead this week. But unfortunately, we're just going to have to wait a little longer for that. Yeah, it's still baseball at its finest, though. I cannot wait to see uh, meaningful baseball being played at Wrigley Field in late August and September. I'm honestly just a little bit psyched about all of it. The pitching matchups for this series will feature some of the best that that both teams have to offer and just some interesting stuff going on generally. You've got Wade Miley against Jamison Tyone tomorrow. Um, We know Wade Miley pretty well at Wrigley Field because we got to watch him pitch for a season and change. And, you know, he's a fast worker. If he's on, he can throw a no-hitter and you just kind of blink and you missed it. And you're like, wait, how did that happen? Jamison Tyon, with one exception, has been outstanding uh, ever since that outing at Yankee Stadium. And so it'll be interesting to see what the Brewers can do against him. What do you see in this Miley Tyon matchup? Um, I don't know. I Tyon has been a surprise. Like I saw him, I don't know, sort of getting better. And I was a little bit less down on him than some other people, but I also wasn't ready to say that like he actually looked good. He just looked like very regular. Uh, he's going to give up four to five runs every time he goes out there. And then you got to try and plan for that somehow. But since then, you know, like you said, in uh, New York, he turned it around. And in this, Tyone and Miley, I don't or I don't know how often they have matched up, but they have to have seen each other maybe five or six different times where they're the pitchers in these games because Tyone was with uh, Pittsburgh, Miley was with the Reds, you know, and then the Cubs. And I don't know. It, it's interesting to see when you get two pitchers that maybe have a little more history, but then of course they don't hit against each other anymore. So that makes it a little less. It it is an interesting point though. And maybe the part of this that is most intriguing to me is that Jan Gomes has caught Wade Miley, which means that there is certainly some knowledge in terms of what Miley's trying to do, what his sequencing looks like. I mean, obviously the Brewers have great, pitching development and they may have changed some things, but Tommy Hadovy, Jan Gomes, these guys know what Wade Miley is trying to do on the mound. And so you got to imagine that the Cubs are going to go in with a game plan. And if they can get the better of Wade Miley in game one, that'll be super helpful. Game two is just like battle of the aces, man. And I am so here for it. Corbin Burns against Justin Steele. Corbin Burns started out the season kind of rocky. He has looked much more like his ace self since then. Justin Steele, I I cannot say enough good things. I'm so impressed with what Justin Steele has done this year. He's among the league leaders in wins. And every time people are like, oh, we don't know if he's in the Cy Young conversation. I'm like, why not? (laughs) He's got one of the lowest ERAs in the league, and he's got one of the highest win totals. And that usually puts you in the Cy Young conversation. (laughs) It is is weird how 
a guy can pitch so well and just get kind of knocked for being good, but not having as many tools as some of the other guys, because what he's throwing basically two pitches, he's got, I think three, maybe a fourth that comes out every five games or something like that for a minute, but he's basically just doing this all on two pitches. And to do that is actually proof to me how good he's throwing to be able to do that without, you know, because I mean, if you have a, if you're a batter and you've got a 50, 50 shot of what's coming, you should do really well. And if you're a pitcher with that, you better be locating that and, and have something nasty on it to do what Justin Steele is doing. So it's, it's been really impressive. And then with Burns, didn't the Cubs, the Cubs have beat him twice on opening days, right? consecutive opening days so i mean the cubs can get to burns he's not while he is a great pitcher the cubs seem to do well against him fairly often yeah i the cubs have done well against burns in the past you're absolutely right some of that is familiarity some of it is just that the matchups between the cubs and the brewers are really intense and you know it's it's almost like how Weird things happen in games where you see each other all the time and you've got a lot riding on them. I have also seen Corbin Burns strike out the Cubs like it was like just 15 strike. You look up, he's got 15 strikeouts in the sixth inning. You're like, what happened? Right. Like, so right. I'm I'm not exactly <laughs> I'm not exactly uh counting on this matchup going the Cubs way because they have had some success against Burns before. But I do think Burns versus Steel here is an absolutely dynamite matchup, and I'm excited for it. Yeah, I'm just trying to remain optimistic here and and hope that they have it. And the Cubs' offense has been very good this year. So I'm hoping that that just shines through a little bit and they don't have like a getaway day, you know, lineup going up against him because they're coming off of two 10-run games. I mean, 20 runs in the last two games, they are really hitting the ball and seeing it well. So let's hope that continues. Uh, throughout this Brewer series. Well, and it's interesting that you bring up uh, team offense here. I'm trying to pull up right now. Oh, yeah, because the Brewers finally started hitting, right? Correct. Yeah, the, the Brewers offense has been pretty abysmal um, for most of the season until recently. This recent stretch that they've been on, they have been absolutely murdering the baseball. And so it'll be interesting to see which Brewers team shows up at Wrigley Field. If it's the Brewers team from like the first four months of the season that really struggled to string hits together and score runs or whether it's going to be the Brewers team that has shown up over the last couple of weeks when they just cannot lose. It'll, it'll be a fascinating dynamic. So who do they have right now? That's like tearing it up because obviously I feel like it's everybody, but it can't be everybody, right? No, it's not everybody. I mean, the hottest bats that they've had over the last two weeks, and thanks for setting me up on this hot, cold bats uh, <laughs> segment, Michael. We've got Ty- Tyrone Taylor has a WRC plus of 175. Willie Adamas has a WRC plus of 161. As a reminder, WRC plus is just a stat that measures how much more likely you are than the rest of the league to drive in runs, uh, given you're at bat with a baseline of 100. So that means Taylor's been 75% better than league average. Adamas has been 61% better than league average. Mark Canna, who they picked up at the trade deadline from the Mets, has a WRC plus of 141. Uh, he's slashing 313, 410, 469 during that time period. Carlos Santana, another 
um, acquisition from the trade deadline, WRC plus of 139 during that time period. And William Contreras, and I cannot stress enough how much it pains me that the Cardinals have a Contreras and the Brewers have a Contreras and the Cubs do not. William Contreras has a WRC plus of 135 over the last two weeks. Um, and that does not count today's game where he hit a home run that almost nailed Bernie's slide. He had a 450-foot bomb that looked like it was going to hit the slide. Wow. I wonder if anybody's ever hit the slide before. I don't know, but I, I now I want to know. <laughs> yeah, now I want to know. I mean, if we just came out of that Pirates series where uh, Palacios hit one into the Allegheny, what, number 43? I think the 43rd player to ever do it. The most famous being Kyle Schwarber during the wildcard game, of course. But uh yeah you know so, Schwarber called that shot have you heard the story no. so not like in the game so the night before when they were hanging out with the front office he, he types, wasn't very Bruce out there pointing no 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 but apparently I remember Theo doing an interview to this effect and I I've never been able to find it in print but I I remember hearing it with my own ears so I feel pretty comfortable um repeating it but he, he they were all hanging out and it was like the front office types of the players and whatnot and Kyle told Theo I'm gonna hit a ball in the river and I, it always stuck, struck with, struck me and stuck with me because it's kind of one of those situations where like, do you know how cocky you have to be to be like a 23-year-old, 24-year-old rookie telling your front office president of baseball operations in a wild card game that you're going to hit a ball in, a, in the river and then do it in a wild card game? Like that is bananas. Uh, so, it, but yeah, it, apparently he like, told Theo that the night before. It's almost like a 23-year-old is the only one who could have that amount of cockiness to do it. I mean, that was that whole Cubs team, though, right? Like, they had they had no idea they could ever lose. All of them were like, all we've ever done is win. Now we're Cubs. We'll win here. This will be great. It was like Chris Bryant didn't know he could lose. Anthony Rizzo had no idea he could. You know what I mean? All That whole core was just a core of dudes who were like, we win baseball games. This is great. <laughs> Had no idea what that meant in the context of the Cubs. It was really good because, you know, back then they didn't even care about who it was they were facing. They're like, no, we're the Cubs and we're just being the Cubs. And all these other people are just wearing, you know, different uniforms. We have to play against them or else we don't get to be the Cubs. That's how it felt, you know, and now it, it's not, it's got a different feel. Yeah, it, it's got an interesting feel at the moment. I was just talking about this with a um, friend of the show, Ken Schultz, who uh, I'm hoping I'll get to see a baseball game with soon again. Uh, we were talking about the fact that a lot of these guys, some of them don't necessarily feel like Cubs yet, right? Like Amaya's a Cub, obviously. He's been in the system forever and we love him. He's a Cub. Justin Steele, same thing. Albert Alzali, yeah, you're a Cub, dude. Nico, anybody who was drafted, developed in the system, you're definitely a Cub. But Jamer Candelario feels more like a Cub to me than, say, Dansby Swanson at this moment in time. Like, Dansby Swanson feels like a mercenary who was brought in to, like, remake the organization or something like that, right? Yeah, it's funny. Dansby Swanson is very a very quiet player. Uh, you don't – you just – you don't know much about – I don't know. I'm not much of a guy going out and looking for the the personal stories or whatever – but in general, when somebody's that good on your team, you end up finding out things and they they try to do puff pieces on them as much as possible. And I still feel like I don't know a ton about him, which is weird because in Chicago, he should be royalty because his wife 
plays for the Red Stars. Now she's sadly injured this season and uh, didn't get to play for the Red Stars or the national team. But those two in Chicago, you would think that there would be like at least a story every week in, I don't know, the back pages talking about those two. Yeah, it's an interesting observation. And don't get me wrong. I'm sure Dansby will feel like a Cub eventually. Like if the Cubs get to the postseason this year, something will happen. He'll become a fan favorite, right? Two or three years, even if they don't get to the postseason. Dansby will be a Cub. But like Cody Bellinger, there's a non-zero chance that this is Cody Bellinger's only year with the Cubs. They don't figure out a way to extend him. He just goes somewhere else. Is that dude, like, he doesn't feel like a Cub the same way, I don't know, like, Ian Happ is a Cub, man. Like, he's never been anything else. And we've been watching him since the day he was drafted. <laughs> What's interesting about the Bellingers, you could you could draw a straight line from him to Castellanos. Yeah. And Castellanos showed up and took Chicago by storm. Like everybody loved Castellanos. He was everything that you wanted for the guy. Like he was so much fun. And I mean, he hasn't been on the Cubs. He was on the Cubs for what? Two months. Yeah. He, he was like a, he was like a late waiver acquisition or no, 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 no. Regular trade deadline. But like literally one of the deals that got announced after the deadline, like it got done, was faxed through, and then announced. Oh, yeah. We we were all like, I guess the Cubs aren't doing anything. And then all of a sudden, they got Castellanos. I literally wrote a piece and pu- hit publish that said, not with a bang, but a whimper. That yeah. was my trade deadline write-up. And 15 minutes later, the Castellanos deal was announced. And I had to, like, quote, tweet myself and say, be right back. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> So he only played for the team for, for like, half a minute. And yet people still, you'll see his jerseys around. You'll see, you know, jerseys. You'll see people mentioning him every time the Phillies come up or something like Kyle Schwarber's on that team with him. And it, and they feel the same, just the same guys. They're both (laughs) Cubs. It's weird. Dude. I love that Phillies team so much. That Phillies team is a bunch of bros. And every time they celebrate, it's very clear that they're just like a bunch of baseball bros. And yes, you're absolutely right. Schwarber and Castellanos, absolutely Cubs. 100%. There's something about the makeup of this current Cubs team where some guys have not hit it yet. And I, I, I presume that things will happen this September that will make that change. And if they get into the postseason, things will definitely happen in October that will make that change. But it's been slow, right? Like, I don't know. Let's talk about some of the Cubs hot hitters. We talked about, say, Suzuki a second ago. But Nick Madrigal, WRC plus of 148 over the last two weeks. The dude has been raking. And look, it looks ridiculous every time he Nicky five steps in at third. But it works. Like, he hasn't had a ton of errors or errant throws or anything. So whatever. Make it keep working. I had to give him props this week because there was a ball. I think it was in the Thursday night game where he had to go to his right, get the ball on the, on the bad side of the foul line and turn and fire that across the field. That is a ball that none of us expected Nick Madrigal to be able to make that throw. And I don't think in April or May he could have. But he made the throw and got the out, and I was very impressed. Now, I'm going to give him props because he did the job that I didn't think he could do, and that was very good. And now I'm going to turn it on uh, the Cubs' front office and say, you see what happens if you let 
a player play a position the entire year. Like maybe Morrell could be Nick Madrigal right now if they had let him actually play that position the whole time. But it's hey, a great point. Who, who, who am, who am I? I mean, I don't know what I'm talking about. Nick Madrigal's a second baseman. He played second base this week, actually, and looked pretty good over there. Uh, but he's the second baseman that they gave him all the opportunity in the world. Somehow, Morell, who is the third baseman, they won't give any opportunity. It's just weird to me. No, it's a great point. And it's one that, I mean, Morell has been struggling since he hit that walk-off home run against the White Sox, which, by the way, like, I... That's the moment of the year for me so far. It, it's just just ahead of the Mike Talkman catch, um, which that also was incredible. <laughs> which, Christopher Morrell is not going to get better not playing, right? Like he's never going to figure out his way out of these slumps if he just doesn't play. So uh, I recognize he's been struggling a lot lately. I also think that the at-bats have looked better this year and he's shown a lot of growth at other points in time this year. And so I'm hoping... That, that maybe he's just getting a little bit of a break, like say I got a little bit of a break and Christopher Morrell comes back like gangbusters for these series against the Brewers and the Reds because the Cubs offense needs him. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you didn't necessarily see it in the last, you know, two games with the 10 runs, but he's, you know what? You talk about Cubs. Christopher oh, Morrell's a Cub. a Cub. Oh my he's God. A Cub. <laughs> of all the players on this team, he, to me, is the superstar. He's the guy. He's sort of the face for me personally. Maybe other people don't see it this way. But when I think of the Cubs and I think of like watching this and the the guys that I won't miss in a bat, Christopher Morrell is at the top of that list. If he's anywhere near going to going to bat, I don't leave the room. I wait until he's gone just to see what's about to happen. Oh yeah, that dude's a cub. Uh and and some of the guys will probably feel more like Cubs as time goes on, but it just, I don't know. There's something about them. They just feel like Cody Bellinger still feels like a Dodger to me. And and I don't know how these things happen. Cause I like, like you said, Castellanos was a Cub immediately. And part of that was just how quickly he embraced Chicago. I think he loved it here. He loved that there were fans cheering for him. I was there the day he made his Wrigley debut debut. Cause if you remember his first games with the Cubs were on the road. And I was sitting in right field right by where he was playing. And I remember these two bros had gotten Castellanos jerseys and they're like standing in the walkway. So we're not in the bleachers. We're like in the walkway by the grandstand where they tell you you can't stand. But between every inning, they're standing there and they're like, and they're pointing at their backs. And he's just like floored that these dudes are already wearing his jersey and like getting shooed by the ushers. And it was just, it was the greatest thing. And that's why he was a Cub. Cody Bellinger needs to have some sort of moment with this team and this fan base where he becomes a Cub. The closest for me that him and Dansby came to being Cubs, honestly, was the Christopher Morrell walk-off because they were both on base for it. They were both at the top front row cheering for Morrell loud. And those are the dudes who are supposed to be the leaders of this team. And they were the guys who were like out there, like leading the charge and like leading the celebration. And that came pretty close, but we'll see what happens as the rest of this season goes on. If Cody Bellinger or Dansby Swanson becomes a cub during one of these upcoming (laughs) series, Michael, where can people find you talking about it? Where can people find you talking about it? Well, you can find me on Cubs pod every other day covering these games 
on a much too long recap show, or you can uh, catch me on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. on uh, YouTube, the Sunranto channel. We go live and we do our podcast there. And that's also a much too long podcast. <laughs> if, if you ever thought to yourself, I wish I could watch fans talk about baseball for the entire length of a baseball game. Well, then we're the show for you. Come check us out. We're And, and I have to say, I it's super long, but I love it. I love the fact that it goes that long because we are genuinely enjoying ourselves. We're having fun talking about the team that we love, even if we sometimes feel like we're ragging on it too much. Uh, you know, but it, it's just so much fun. It's it's like right now, Sarah, you were on the show last week. And for anybody who didn't see that show or listen, it was the longest show of the year because Sarah was right in there with us having a good time. And right now she's trying to wrap this thing up. We could go another hour. I guarantee <laughs> you we could do another hour right now. And I'm going to go do another two hours later. And, and you know, I'm, I'm happy with it. I love Sunrise all the time. I love Sun Ranto. I've been on the Sun Ranto show. I don't even know how many times I say yes. Anytime Danny invites me that I can. Um, it's a very different energy than the show. The show is like, what happened last time? What's going to come up? In and out. We try to get you done in 55 minutes, maybe an hour. Um, but the Sun Ranto show is much more of like a variety show, right? It's like hanging out with your friends on a Sunday night or on a Wednesday night or a Thursday night or whatever the show happens to be. And you're hanging out with your friends and you're talking baseball for a couple of hours. And it's a little more irreverent. Um, th there's a lot of, you know, we, we tend to be the podcast that you don't, that does not have an explicit warning on it here at Cup of Cubby Blue. But, uh, oh, and I have to say, Danny forces me to use foul language on that show. This has been so nice to be able to spend an hour with you and not have to curse at all. It's been just wonderful. So if you're looking for Michael, check out Sunranto and check out Cubs Pod. You can follow him on the socials. Uh, where can people follow you on the socials, Michael? You know what? You actually can't really follow me on the socials much anymore. We do have a Sunranto on Reddit, and I'm on Reddit fairly often, but nobody seems to go over there very much. I have a Twitter account, but I just don't go there anymore because it's not any fun. Uh, if you really, if you really want to do it, you pay money to be a Patreon supporter of the Sunranto show, and then you go on the Discord, and I'm there all the time. Because the Sonranto like community is in there and we're talking baseball. So yeah, not only do I talk baseball a lot while being recorded, I spend every day talking to people online in a closed group in order to do it. But our in fact our game chats though are always open. So check out the Discord at Sunranto. The game chats are always there and you can at least for free get a little taste of what it's like to be a part of the best Cubs community I think I could ever come up with. Oh, totally agreed. That discord channel was a lot of fun, by the way, I'm, I'm on there on occasion as well. And can, can agree that it is a great place to be. You can find me at BCB underscore Sarah. You can follow the show at cup of cubby blue. We tweet out all of the links to things that we're talking about here and like fun, random stuff that happens in baseball there as well. 
you're probably listening to this after the Sun Ranto show has already gone live on Sunday night. But you should definitely check out the Sun Ranto show because that's a totally different way to fan with us. And we love it when you hang out with us here at the Bleacher well, Bunch Network. And it, it will eventually come out on the Bleacher Bunch uh, as a podcast. The Cubs pods, we wrap them all together uh, after every series and we, you know, throw out a, a podcast of the Cubs pods that we do. And uh, in the off season, I will have a podcast of my own out there where it's just me talking about sort of baseball history and trivia. It's called the baseball rabbit hole. And I just look up stories and I follow rabbit holes in the internet as they open up. And I have about 18 of them that I'm currently re-recording so that I can put them out over the winter. That sounds awesome. I cannot wait to listen to that. And those will all be on the Bleacher Bunch Network. And if you're not subscribed already, what are you even doing? People hit that subscribe button. Uh, Hopefully we'll be back next time talking about how the Cubs won a series against the Brewers at Wrigley. Until then.